Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So this week you guys posted some really, really great practice questions. So we're going to start off with a practice question from Sarah. She says, can someone help me with this question? And of course, we know the answer is always yes. So heads tilted a little bit because it's a little bit sideways on the Facebook page, but always appreciate the pictures. So this one is saying, what is the labor cost per meal? And then it's telling us out total food purchased is $32,123. Total cafeteria sales is $23,231. Total labor expenses is going to be $25,790. And then we have the meal equivalent factor is going to be $2.15. And then the total patient meals served is going to be $1,923. And so this is the type of question that I know you guys read and go, oh my God, why is there so much um, information? And definitely, you know, no one wants to answer these types of questions. And that's why the practice is definitely important. So the key thing, and a lot of you guys picked it up in the comments, is we have to remember when they're giving us like, oh, here's the meal equivalents. And also here's other patient meals. We want to be suspicious because remember the cafeteria is going to churn out not only meals for patients, but meals um, in the cafeteria. So the total patient meal served, that stays. That's the 1,923. But we also need to take those cafeteria sales, which are going to be 23,231 meals and divide it by our meal equivalent which is $2.15, which tells us that there were 10,805 meals served in the cafeteria. Then we add it to, we add it to the patient meals, 1,923, and that's our total meals. Remember, because cafeteria is making patient meals, they're also making our employee meals as well, our visitors, whoever's there. So we end up the cafeterias in total churning out 12,728 meals. And then after we do that, we're like, what did they want? So this is a good point to kind of go back and look at the question. So we're going, okay, what did they want? Okay, they wanted, what is the labor cost per meal? So we're like, okay, perfect. They already gave me labor and I already know my meals. So again, remember, you want to keep your units tight so you can get it right. So with this one, we're taking the labor expenses, which is 25,790, and we're dividing it by our total meals, the 12,728, and that will help you to get your answer of $2.03. So anytime we're seeing like multiple patient meal numbers, you want to remember that we need to calculate patient meals and also cafeteria meals too. And if you've come to any of the math math bootcamp classes, you know I love to give you guys questions where 
you know, I'm telling you, oh, meals served. But then I'm also telling you the number of patients. And you have to be like, well, I have this many patients. I feed them three times a day, seven days a week. So always be suspicious when you kind of get like these meals, um, these kind of meals of the cafeteria and the patients that you need to add, you need to add them both together. So next up, we got a great question uh, from a student who said, is it still taught that fasting uh, blood sugar greater or equal to 126 deciliters of uh, milligrams per deciliter on two occasions is required for type 2 diabetes diagnosis? And so what we want to be thinking about when we're thinking about the best test for diabetes, and this is why understanding our labs are so important, is that it, you need to kind of have that average, right? So that's why we want to use A1C as our best diagnostic test because the A1, hemoglobin A1C is our three-month average of our blood sugars in, in relationship to it. Because, right, we can have, you know, blood sugars elevated for a little bit. That doesn't mean you have diabetes. So something I think about is my cancer patients who are on a lot of steroids. So being on steroids for a week with elevated blood sugars doesn't mean that you have diabetes. But if their A1C is creeping up, because again, it's that average, that's when you're going to start to see diabetes diagnosis. So you're going to want to wait till the A1C gets up because again, you want to move on averages to would I be concerned about a patient who's having kind of like, you know, like, wow, every time I check my fasting blood sugar data, it's it's up there. I'd definitely be concerned. There's definitely room for intervention. Um, there's definitely room for intervention early on. But something to think about too is that, you know, when we're thinking about the diagnostic test, we want to make sure that we're just really being careful on those laboratory values. Great question. So next up, we have um, a question on ITSI. And so if you don't know what ITSI is, right, that's our International Dysphagia Diet Standardization Initiative. And so this is like kind of new. It depends where you are located in the U.S. and like what type of medical center you're at, because some places have rolled this out completely. Some places have like rolled it out, but you don't really see it. And then some places this is completely new. So I know for my hospital in Boston, this is quote unquote fully implemented, but I don't necessarily use this. I don't, you know, like, so we're still using kind of the old ones within parentheses, the new ISI guidelines. Um, so if this is something new for you, definitely look on the Facebook page. The ISI guidelines have been posted several times. Just search ISI and you'll find the packet I give my students um, and so what I said here is you, what's an example of IDSI level six, level five, and level four? So this is important because if you can't have utility and mobility in the topic, you're not going to be able to answer an IDSI question. So you don't want to just go, oh, IDSI level six, that's one under regular, which is, which is seven. So that means, you know, it's just one less. You want to be thinking about it more of what types of foods go there. And so when we're thinking about IDSI, when we're thinking about IDSI level six, what I want to think is this is something soft, right? This is scrambled eggs, right? And so then if I get a question about level six and go, well, how does that compare to scrambled eggs? Is that softer? Is that harder? What is it? When we're thinking about level five, 
this is our minced and moist. So I had a student who was like, oh, you know what? I came up with a great one. And I was like, oh, sure. And I always love when you guys are like, oh, this helped me because again, it just helps everyone else. So minced and moist, this is when, you know, like a meatball that has, you know, super ground up meat. So it's still soft, but it's minced and moist. So you can kind of like push it through a fork and the little pieces are gonna individually come up. So this student was like, I think of minced and moist, I think the M's for meatloaf. And I was like, that's perfect. That ground meat is gonna be extra, extra, extra tiny too. And then when we're thinking of idsy level four, when we're thinking about idsy level four, this is our pureed or extremely thick. So this is like a Greek yogurt where you could put it on a spoon and you flip it over. It's gonna kind of like flip up. I know you guys are all imagining the Greek yogurt right now. So again, going through idsy, put a food and beverage to each one. It's gonna help. It's gonna help you so, 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 so much. Okay. Next up, we have a question. This student says, I'm curious how everyone studies for the roles for situation, the management roles for situational questions. I feel like I understand what I study, but I can't apply them. And again, this is a great one too. And this is why if you take any of my classes, you know we focus on putting real life examples. Because if you can, you know, tell me the definition out of the Inman, I'm going to be like, great, when would we use that? You know, and so you want to be thinking about What's an example? And especially with the management ones, I like to always kind of use examples, um, use examples like from my business. So like things, you know, we're kind of thinking about with, you know, our management roles. And remember, this is not functions of management when we're thinking about our management roles is we're thinking about things like negotiator, spokesperson, figurehead, liaison. And sometimes this is kind of all, you know, the same person. Sometimes it's it's different. It's going to be different people. So when we're reading kind of this question, so it can be confusing. So when we're thinking this question, which management role is to deal with individuals and organizations? So the answer to this is negotiator. Um, this student put liaison, which I think, you know, this question's a little bit vague. So remember, sometimes the questions on any app can be you know, not the best for learning. So what I would do is I would kind of take this question and think about, you know, which ones kind of go together, you know, which ones are kind of similar. And so when you're thinking about the negotiator, you know, a lot of the time you're thinking about, you're thinking about too, that, you know, this is kind of like the person who's making the deals, right? This is the person who's helping you kind of with the strategic management. Of where, how are we going to get here to here? I'm going to negotiate. When we're thinking about, you know, a role like informational role, I like to think about like this is the person who would help you sign up, right? So like I play the informational role in my business, right? Because you're like, hey, Dana, I want to sign up for the August group. And I'm like, okay, hey, you fill out this form. This is where you pay. This is what you're going to get. This is blah, blah, blah. So the informational role, I think about that's the person who has all the facts. Versus when I, when I think about two, like, you know, a, you know, the figurehead or like the spokesperson, I think that this is more of the face. So, you know, also the face of my business, right? But some companies, you know, they have, you know, someone who does all the TikToks, right? So that person, you know, is the one on the TikToks telling everything, right? But when you want to go sign up for something with them, they might not be the one who's kind of signing you up. So thinking about kind of like, well, what would it look like for each, each one? Um, is definitely, definitely helpful too. So next one we have is one from Mark. And so they're saying, 
the metropolitan area of Dallas-Fort Worth, that's in quotes, and then it's saying, the statement above is an example of what type of parameter in a community needs assessment. So options are target population, purpose of assessment, definition of community, and then also lead organization. So when we read this one, we can kind of cross out lead organization. We're like, that's not an organization, that's an area. And then we're saying too, okay, well, target population, right? So target population is specific. So who in Dallas, is this a diabetes prevention program? Is this a breastfeeding moms group? This just saying the Dallas, you know, Dallas Fort Worth area is not specific enough to be a target population, right? If someone goes, oh, Dana, who'd you tutor? I don't go, students, right? I'm saying, I don't even just say dietetic students. I go, oh, I primarily work with students who are four to six months out, you know, from studying for their RD exam. They finish their dietetic internship, the majority of them. You know, that's more specific. That would be more of a target population. Um, purpose of assessment, no, right? Because that's, I'm just saying who it is. So this is the definition of community. So I'm saying like, I'm looking within this area for that target population and you would kind of cinch it down a little bit. So last week we did our medications class. And so from that, I kind of took this question of how is high potassium treated, right? So there's kind of lots of different ways we're thinking about it. And I said, other than diet, what would, like, how could you um, decrease someone's potassium? A lot of time we're thinking this is hyperkalemia. And so obviously, right, there's a lot of medications. But if you have, right, there's, you can also have, you know, like a potassium binder, the same as you could have a phosphate binder. But a lot of times in the hospital, when you have someone who is so hyperkalemic, right, that that's dangerous. Remember, K is for kills, kills you. Um, sometimes we'll put them on an insulin drip, and that's kind of using that mechanism that we know about, right, with refeeding, that when glucose goes in the cell, it brings potassium for that sodium-potassium pump. But also, they might need hemodialysis. So again, connecting these different things can be super super helpful. Okay. So next one, we have a TPN one. And again, if you struggle with TPN, definitely check, think about coming on the 17th to the practice question class on nutrition support. Otherwise, TPN lectures already up on my website. It's only $10. One of my favorite topics being a CNSC dietitian. So let's go through this one. So this one is saying determine the calorie contribution of carbohydrate in the following parental nutrition formula. And then it says the amounts are per liter. And this question I would say probably gets asked every two or three weeks because what kills people is it's the per liter. So remember, we need to watch what units this in. So it's telling me there's 360 milliliters of 60% dextrose per liter, right? Everything else I don't care about. I just want the carbohydrate. And the student did a great job of she underlined to carbohydrate because we don't need to worry about all that other fluff, just focus on what we want. So what it's telling me is that this solution is running at 65 milliliters per hour. So anytime I have something telling me, okay, it's this per liter, the first thing I would do is go, how many liters do I have? So 65 times, I'm like, times what? Times 24, right? 65 milliliters per hour times 24 hours. So I get 1,560 milliliters, and then we move our decimal place over. So that's 1.65 liters. Perfect. So now I'm saying 
Okay, that's how many liters. I'm gonna label that liters, keep my units tight so I get it right. And then I'm gonna loop back and say, okay, for every liter, there is gonna be 300 milliliters that is 60% dextrose. So I'm gonna say, okay, in 300 milliliters times 0.6, that is gonna get me 180 grams. I wanna end up in calories. So right away, I'm gonna go, okay, each liter has 180 grams of dextrose. And then we're gonna say, okay, then that's times 3.4 grams per, per um, calories per gram. So 180 grams times 3.4 calories per gram. So that's telling me every liter has 612 calories from dextrose. Perfect, okay. Then I'm going, I have 1.56 liters. So I'm doing 1.56 times 612 calories. And that's telling me that I have 954 calories. So again, focus on what you need. And then this looks like an inman question on this one. There's like multiple questions that kind of, that kind of are going, um, that are kind of going off of it as well too. Okay. So the next one we have um, is going to be, looks like it's off pocket prep. So it's saying the students in pocket prep states, uh, one, um, states that one FTE is 2.5 relief workers. Inman says that one relief worker can cover two and a half, um, F FTEs. So this one is definitely, definitely confusing. And the thing you want to remember is the wording. So what I'm saying is I'm saying one full-time relief worker, so if I can work four days a week, can cover 2.5 employees just regular days off. This isn't weekends. This is, you know, well, sorry, this is weekends. This isn't like birthdays, holidays, sick days. So what I'm saying is if I'm the full-time relief employee and, you know, say Jonathan, I can cover his two days off. Sarah, I can cover his two days off. But Jessica, I can only cover one. So I can cover... 2.5 employees times off. Now, the other way you'll see the question is saying, oh, I have three employees. How many relief employees should I hire? Right? So then I would do three times 0.55, and that's going to tell me my one point, my 1.65. So they can they can ask you these questions kind of in a variety in a variety of a variety of different ways too. So you got to be, you definitely got to be careful on this one too. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes, as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.